He's got something for you. Will you hear it and will you receive it? Now, as we began our study of Joseph's life a couple of weeks ago entitled, When Life is the Pits, we saw Joseph as a model of faithfulness even though he came from a very dysfunctional family. We learned that Joseph's parents and Joseph's brothers were far from perfect, but it seemed that Joseph turned out okay. Somehow he was able to rise above the less than perfect family situation that he found himself in and live a life of faithfulness. But today we're going to see how Joseph remained faithful, get this, when things got even worse. When things got even worse, at the age of 17, Joseph's world is about to come apart at the seams. And so I pray today that this message will encourage you to remain faithful even when you face adversity, even when you face trials, even when you face disaster. I pray you'll be encouraged today to remain faithful. So whether it's a flat tire, whether it's a bad grade, or even if it's like the tragic loss of a loved one, we have to learn to remain faithful in the face of adversity. But many times, those who call themselves Christians turn away from their faith when hardship comes. Sadly, in many cases, when, when they turn away from their faith in the Lord God Almighty, they turn to the thinking and behaviors of the society we live in. A society that doesn't know God and a society that doesn't honor God. So let's see what happens to Joseph. First of all, would you agree with me today that sometimes life is not fair? Raise your hand if you agree with that. Sometimes life is not fair. In Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12. We got a PowerPoint, brother? Okay. Uh, in verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, that is Jacob, his father, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So that he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers, and, go, and if it's well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent them out of the valley of Hebron, and so he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and, and he, there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them. In Dothan. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago that bad report that Joseph brought to his father Jacob? Joseph had told his dad that his brothers were flirting with the religion of the local folk. That they were flirting with religion that encouraged them to worship idols and to uh, partake in immorality. So it's not hard for me to understand why Jacob would send Joseph after the boys to find out what kind of trouble they'd gotten themselves into. 
I'm sure that he was concerned with their physical welfare, but because of their past performance, it's important to know that Jacob didn't trust the boys. He didn't trust the brothers to stay out of trouble. I mean, who knew what kind of trouble they might get into? So, especially in an area, an area where the brothers had created so many enemies, because if you remember right, uh, they had murdered all the men of that city of Shechem. So, undoubtedly, they had a great many enemies. So maybe he didn't realize it, but Jacob was sending Joseph into a very perilous situation, a very dangerous situation. However, as we learn, Joseph obeys his dad, and he goes to find his brothers. Uh, about uh, two days into the journey, he finds out that, that the boys have moved the flocks. And so Joseph travels at least another day's journey to catch up with his brothers. But next, I want you to see what he gets for all his efforts. Because sometimes, sometimes our family can hurt us the most. Verse 18. Now when they, the brothers, saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, the oldest brother, heard it and said, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. He did that, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, that tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So after all those days journey, Joseph gets to the brothers and finds out that the brothers weren't too happy to see him. They weren't too happy. They're still angry about uh, Joseph's bad report to dad. They're still uh, remembering his arrogant dreams that, that prophesied and predicted that Joseph would one day have authority over the brothers, have dominion over the brothers. So they were a little bit mad. But, you know, I think that it's more to it than that. You know, it had never occurred to me but maybe Joseph wasn't being arrogant. Maybe, just maybe, Joseph innocently shared those dreams with his brothers in hopes that they would accept him as their leader. Maybe he, he shared those dreams so that they might encourage him to pursue God's plan for his life. But regardless of what his intentions were, it didn't work out that way. You know, sometimes, especially with family, we can be misunderstood. Amen? Sometimes with family, we can be misunderstood. If Joseph's brothers thought his dreams were just a result of his own imagination, well, they would have just ignored those dreams and went on their way. But it's interesting that's not what happened. They got mad. 
The fact that they got so mad, the fact that they were filled with so much hatred indicates that somehow they sensed God's voice in those dreams. They got so mad. So by rejecting the dreams of Joseph, I believe they're in effect rejecting the will of God. Think about it. As far as they knew, the only way that they were going to be happy the only way they might get any inheritance from Jacob was if Joseph was out of the picture. Getting him gone was the only way they were going to be happy. Their whole future depended on the fact that they had to rid themselves of Joseph, and so they plotted, now let us kill him, and let's see what becomes of his dream. His brothers then took him and threw him into a muddy pit and they would have left him for dead except they came up with this grandiose idea that maybe they can make a little money by selling him off as a slave. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt in that pit? Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind as he lay in the bottom of that pit. Literally, Joseph was in the middle of nowhere, having been betrayed by his own brothers, his own blood, and had absolutely no help whatsoever. Think about it. Was life going to end here, he thought? Was, was life going to end like this? Me dying in the bottom of a pit? Can you imagine, friend, trying to climb up the sheer walls of a pit, desperately trying to get out, only to find out it's impossible? Only to find out there's no way out of this pit. There's no way out of this disaster. And what's worse, no one cared. No one cared. That's the worst thing about being in trouble, is finding out that no one cares. They don't care whether you're in trouble or not. They don't care if you're having a hard time or not. That's the worst thing about being in a pit. And you know, according to Genesis 42 in verse 21, uh, describing this event about 22 years later, the brothers heard him. The brothers heard him pleading for his life, begging for them not to leave him in the pit. But they would not listen. Listen to 42 verse 21. Then the brothers said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw, we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. To hear your brother begging for his life, begging for a little help, only to be ignored. I don't know about you, but I probably would have just given up. Wouldn't you? There's no hope. 
When you're faced with the serious struggles of this life, we're tempted to do just that. Just that. We're tempted to throw in the towel. We're tempted just to give up. But remember this today, and your time won't be, it will have been spent in vain if you'll remember this one fact. Things are not always as they seem on the surface. Things aren't always as they seem on the surface. Joseph could have looked at those walls and concluded, my life is over. He could have assumed that his God, whom he had trusted, whom he had tried to live his life for, had abandoned him and let him down. Joseph's dreams of the future were now overwhelmed with the nightmare of the present. But you know, we should come to expect some adversity in this fallen world we live in. This world that's just overwhelmed with sin, we should expect some adversity. We should expect some difficult times. Just remember this. You know, God reminds us to look beyond our present circumstances. He reminds us to look beyond what we see going on. The temptation is when trials come our way is to cry out, why me, God? Why me? But you know what? We don't have any right to say that. How many of you, when you're being showered with the blessings of God, say, God, why me? How many? None. We have no right to ask why me. You see, the, the main problem with an easy life is that it masks our need for God. When things are going easy, we don't need God. But when things are in the pit, we find ourselves in desperate need of our Lord. So we should begin to anticipate Problems are coming. We should begin to anticipate uh, impossibilities, knowing that we're going to come face to face with situations totally beyond our control and totally beyond our strength. Friend, that's often, I think, where God wants us. He wants us to come to the place where we must seek His help, where all my help and all your help just ain't going to get it. But I need God's help. Now Joseph learned some significant things in this pit disaster. And these things we can apply to our own lives. Good life lessons that we can apply when you and I find ourselves in a pit. Number one, Joseph learned that God cared and God was in control. Listen to Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. Stephen is describing this situation, and he remembered the story of Joseph and said, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but get this, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his troubles. The Bible says that despite his adversity, despite this pit, despite this trial, God was with him. Right there. Always remember, friend, that God is in control of your situation. He is in control of your circumstance, even when it don't seem like it. He is in control. Even when we find ourselves in the pit thrown there by life, we got to remember that God is in control 
of that circumstance. As the writer of Hebrews 13 wrote, he said, for him, he, he himself, God, talking about the Lord God Almighty, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can a man do to me? What can a man do to me? He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. What can a man do to me? Even if things look bleak, even if you've been at the bottom of the pit for a while, I want you to know you have the Lord's promise that God is still in control and he's still working out his plan for your life. He's in control. I have it on the authority of the word of God. That the believer can know, say no. Say, I know. I know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Friend, you can know that, that all things work together for good. Now, it didn't say that all things are good because they're not. But it does say that all things will work together for the good. And that's the promise of God. And what is God's purpose in all things? That you and I will be conformed into the image of Jesus. And sometimes that requires a pit. Sometimes it may even require a disaster. Sometimes God's got to hammer out the qualities he wants us to have. And sometimes he does it on the anvil of adversity. But not only did Joseph learn that God cared and was in control, but Joseph also learned that God's ultimate purpose for pain was for his good. Now that don't jive in my brain, amen? Pain ain't good. Can I get a testimony? Pain ain't good. People often say, how could a loving God allow me to go through such pain? The problem with that line of thinking is this. Human beings associate love with painlessness. But God associates pain with wisdom. Could it be that God had a purpose for putting Joseph in the bottom of this pit? Would he do such a thing? Would he permit such a thing? Would he allow such a thing? Well, obviously, God had some things that he wanted to perfect in Joseph's life. Maybe he's preparing Joseph to be a servant. And so he does so by humbling him. Can I tell you, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if while preparing you for greatness, God humbles you. Don't be surprised. But God also has some things he wants to purge out of the lives of his brothers. Don't be surprised if while you're in the pit, God's doing a work in somebody else. By putting Joseph in the pit, God deals with his brother's cruelty. He deals with his brother's deceit. But God also has a promise he wants to keep. He has a promise he wants to keep. And through Joseph, he's going to keep that promise. And he's going to preserve his people, the nation of Israel. So God's ultimate purpose for pain 
ultimate purpose for pain is for our good. But most of all, uh, the most important thing probably is this, that Joseph also learned that even from the pit, God hears your call. Even when you're in the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the pit, in the worst place you've ever been, God will hear your call. In Psalm 34, beginning in verse 17, the psalmist writes this. Listen carefully. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. Wow. You see, sometimes it's only in the furnace of affliction. Sometimes it's only in the midst of a broken heart. Sometimes it's only when we get a very remorseful spirit that we as Christians will cry out to God. But God's promise is this. When the righteous cry out, God will hear. Life isn't fair. And sometimes it's our families that hurt us the most. But sometimes God sustains us in unexpected ways. Verse 25, back in Genesis. And they sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben, the oldest brother, returned to the pit. Indeed, Joseph wasn't in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers, and he said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic killed a kid of goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether or not it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn into pieces. So the brothers lift him up out of the pit they sell him to a bunch of traitors who haul him off as a slave to be in Egypt. I'm sure that as Joseph was being carried into slavery, that he didn't see that as being God's hand of deliverance. But it was. He didn't think from, that going from the pit to being a slave was God's hand of deliverance. But it was. And his trials weren't over yet. That through these experiences so far, however, he has sensed God's presence and he has seen it in unexpected ways. You know, we too will find, as Joseph found, that even though God is present, he doesn't always change our circumstances. Even though God's there, doesn't mean your circumstances will change. 
God doesn't always make everything come out the way we want it to come out. God doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want my prayers answered. But let me tell you what Joseph did find out. He did find out that the love of God that was deep enough to hold him was also strong enough to never let him go. Friend, you need to know that this morning. That the love of God that's deep enough to hold you is strong enough to never let you go. The Apostle Paul also learned this lesson. And he said in the book of Romans that I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. He knew it. Friends, sometimes life just isn't fair. And sometimes our families hurt us the most. Other times God will sustain us in very unexpected ways. But the story also shows us that sometimes we are our own worst punishment. Sometimes we're the worst punishment. Verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. According to that, those verses there, Jacob's mourning went way past normal. Jacob's mourning went way past normal grieving. He was determined to mourn, and he was going to punish himself until the day he died. Like Jacob, you and I have made mistakes. Like Jacob, you and I have sinned against other people. Like Jacob, you and I may have even sinned against our own children. And sadly, some of those mistakes, some of those sins, some of those errors in judgments can never be reversed. But it never helps, friend. It never helps to carry our failures, to carry our, our pain, to carry our mistakes, to carry our sin all through our life in the form of guilt. We have forgiveness available through Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness available. Therefore, we must accept that forgiveness and give up our guilt. And remember that sometimes, sometimes, trials are the first step on the journey of greatness. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Joseph went from favorite son an heir to his father's estate to a slave all in three days. What a change. What a change. Friend, if your life is going smoothly, stop now, praise God, and be very thankful. But if you're struggling, if life is the pits, if you're having a difficult time, if you're going through adversity, if you're going through the furnace of affliction, 
Friend, make sure that you don't give up. Make sure that you remain faithful because God is the one who's in control. He's in control of that trial. Don't give in. Facing adversity, facing trials, facing even disaster. Friend, it's hard work. I'm not downplaying it. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard work. Sometimes we really have to push ourselves to stay faithful. Sometimes in the face of struggles, we really have to push ourselves to come to church. Sometimes when we're going through the furnace of affliction, we really have to push ourselves just to keep praying. Friends, these things take effort. Remaining faithful is hard work. But often, if you're listening, say amen. Often these trials are just the first step in a journey of greatness that God has planned for your life. Remember God's promise to you. Thus says the Lord who created you, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine, God says. I like that. I'm his. How about you? He says, you are mine. You belong to me. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the river, it's not going to overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall you be scorched. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. Friends, we make a terrible Terrible error when we think that God's way is the easy way. Terrible error. We don't follow Christ because it's the easy thing to do. We follow Christ because it's the right thing to do. Following God is the best way. But I will testify to you, it may be a difficult way. It's the best way, but it may be a very difficult way. Think of Moses. Moses chose a path that got him criticized his whole ministry. 600,000 people complaining every day about the way he was doing things. But he chose that path. Daniel, because he would not stop praying to God and he would not pray to Nebuchadnezzar, he chose a path that led him to the lion's den. Those three Hebrew boys, they weren't going to worship any idols. And their path took them to the fiery furnace. Stephen wouldn't shut up about Jesus. So he chose a path that led him to execution. He died because of his faith. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul chose a path that led to imprisonment and finally execution. Then perhaps most of all, think of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who chose, say chose. Jesus chose to step down out of the glory of heaven, to live life like a man, only to die a criminal's death on a cross. And why would he do such a thing? He loved 
But he chose that path. He accepted that mission. He chose it. All those paths were part of God's plan, but not one single one of them was easy. They were all very difficult paths. Friend, I just want to remind you that God doesn't promise you smooth sailing, but he does promise you a safe arrival. God doesn't promise you an easy trip, but he does promise you to be with you all the way. Someone once wrote, when God is going to do something extraordinary, he begins with difficulty. But when God wants to do something out of this world, he begins with the impossible. What's God been doing in your life up to this point? Having a hard time, are you? Been in the pit for a little while? Struggling with affliction? Been going through the fire? Has your life been in the pits? Well, maybe, just maybe, you're on a journey to greatness. A journey to greatness that God is in control of. I want to remind you that God will be with you the whole way. If you'll just remain faithful like Joseph did. The journey of greatness, it begins with the decision for God's Son, Jesus Christ. Have you started your journey yet? Have you taken the first step of your journey? Have you trusted in His ability to get you through the journey? Have you trusted in His ability to get you out of the pit? Have you trusted in Jesus' ability to take you to heaven? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and thereby realizing that you are saved? Today is a decision day for the unbeliever and for the believer. I don't know all of what you're going through, but I know somebody who does. It's the Lord God Almighty, your Heavenly Father. So whatever your concern today, whether it be just a need for prayer or a need to give your life to Him, during this song, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you and you'd be led to make a decision and begin that journey of greatness that God has in store for you. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you have such incredible purposes for our life. I thank you that it's your desire, Lord, to take us all on this journey to greatness. Lord, help us to understand that sometimes that involves Sometimes it involves affliction. Sometimes it involves being in the pit. But you are in control, and we confess that this morning.
And we thank you, Lord, that you've never forsaken us. And we thank you that you use the pain we incur in our lives for good. And that, Lord, whenever the righteous cry out, you will hear. Father, if there's a person here today that's never cried out to you, asking to be saved from their sin, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, they make that decision today. Lord, if there's one here, a believer, a brother or sister, who's been living life in the pits lately, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them in their faith, that you would encourage them not to give up, but to remain faithful. Because, Lord, you're in charge. You're in control of that situation. Lord, whatever your will is, for the decisions we'll make, I pray you'd help us to make them today so that you'll be glorified through our lives. In that name above all names we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. Are you washed in the blood? A stainless sink.
Revelation, come on back at 530 and we'll start that teaching, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. And men, if you would, join me in the fellowship hall and let's get ready to honor our ladies. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord above, we praise you and we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship you and honor you. Lord, we pray that we have blessed you. Lord, we pray that we have received blessings from you. And Lord, we pray that you would just apply this word to our lives and help us to uh, just teach that to other people. That Lord, even though they're in the pit, there is someone who is with them all the time. Father, I pray that we would just teach them to call out to them. Father, again, we thank you for our ladies today. We thank you for the meal, for those who prepared the meal. Lord, we ask you now, Lord, just to bless our fellowship time together. And Lord, just to minister uh, as we minister to one another. And Father, to bless the meal to the nutrition of our bodies. 